Yeah, I got a phone call from uh, after I'd finished uh, Te Kura Fare in 2014. Um, you know, I, I finished that project and, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, I can't go back. Once you've done one, you can't go back to the way you worked before. I just couldn't. And I just, and it was, well, what now? Homestyle Green, episode 175. The Headwaters, a real-life living building challenge. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. This week I'm bringing you an interview I had recently with Trisha Love, who is a consultant specializing now in the living building challenge and if you don't know what the living building challenge is it's a scheme that encourages designers and developers to go what i like to think of beyond sustainability it's uh it really pushes the boat out in terms of trying to create a project where you're actually enriching the environment and the the environment is better for the building being there so it's doing good rather than doing less bad which we often is the benchmark for sustainability is trying to do less bad but the living building challenge uh, really tries to create better communities better places healthier water healthier environments by virtue of that building being there and we're talking about the headwaters which is uh, in a stunning spot in Glenorchy, just south of queenstown in the south queenstown in the south island of new zealand so I started out by asking Trish how she got involved in the Living Building Challenge in the first place. Yeah, I used to work on Green Star projects and um, and then um, I, I was fortunate to work on Te Kura Whare, the first living building in New Zealand. And what, was your, what was your role on that project? Uh, so I was the LBC consultant for that project. Um, and a sustainability guide. Uh, so I, I, uh, it was a tricky one because it was the first LBC project in New Zealand. Yeah, and that was huge. None of us had, on the team had ever actually done a living building challenge project before. Um, so my job was basically to guide the team. And um, you, so you're working with Jez, uh, Jerome and uh, yeah, was it Michelle at, right. at Jazzmax? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I basically um, did some overall sustainability uh, consulting on the project with the team, but very much uh, guided the team um, through the LBC process. Had you done um, any LBC work prior to that? No. <laughs> right. right. Just Green so Star. I, just Green Star. So I, I, my job was to keep ten steps ahead of the team, if you like. So <laughs> right. um, it was a cliff of a learning curve. Yeah. And I just had to really um, uh, upskill and and learn as fast as I could and get answers to the questions. I would anticipate the team would ask of me um, and then I would have some suggestions for the team when that came about. So so how, can you, and, how could you summarise Living Building Challenge for people that haven't heard of it? Well, 
I would say it's the most holistic, um, complete and utter immersion into making that giant step towards a non-toxic, fossil-free living that you can make, one where we are um, really connected to the land and the Mm -hmm. environment. And it really asks you, what I like, what I would say of it, that I really, the first time I heard about it in 2011, and, and I just thought I can really hang my hat on this, was was that the sense of urgency that we have to make not just tiny steps anymore, but we have to make some significant changes Mm -hmm. in the way we go about designing our built environment and and the way we go about our relationship with the land, the history of the land and our culture and connection to place. Yeah. And so it was so totally embodying how we exist yep. with this land that I just was quite wow, you know, this yeah. is for me, you know. Yeah, um, yeah right. So it's, it's, it goes it goes much further than just energy efficiency. It goes beyond those those fundamentals of the the structure of the building, but also into the uh, the culture and the people and the softer side. Absolutely, yeah. It, 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 I mean, one of the petals of the Living Building Challenge is the seven petals. Yeah. It always goes back to using nature as our ultimate measuring stick right. for sustainability and how we should exist with yeah. the earth. Yeah. And so uh, we have to look to nature to guide us in its solutions, which is just incredible, mm, I think, mm, in itself. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it looks at beauty, that's one of the fundamental requirements that is that our buildings should be beautiful. Right. And, and so you can't, you can't just build a really energy efficient, ugly box. Nope. <laughs> with, with lots of imported materials from the other side of the world. No, no. That's one of the things as well is to, is to try and source um, materials from as local to the site mm. as possible as nature, mm. you know, nature can't, Plants and flowers can't move. Our buildings yeah. can't move. We, you yeah. know, we need to look to what we've got around us, and and again look into you know, uh, fossil fuel crisis. I mean, we're seeing it now with the petrol prices going up. It's it's only going to get worse. Yeah, and yeah. we've got to yeah. really start looking uh, to our local economy more. Yeah. In, you know, we we had this notion of a global economy that would solve the world and we've really have got that global economy but you know there's beauty in the local and supporting local as well and Mm. i think in new zealand we've we've suffered yeah yeah. over the years with global economy and we've seen all the local businesses shut down Mm, mm. Uh, and i think there's gonna be a resurgence of local economy yeah. Is my good feeling yeah. with the with the fuel crisis and fuel prices that we're gonna see. Before we go on, I'd just like to say a quick thanks to Proclima who helped make this show possible. 
ProClimber's air tightness and weather tightness building systems, in combination with effective insulation and appropriate ventilation, create energy efficient, low allergen emitting, comfortable, healthy buildings. ProClimber's patented systems also ensure the long-term effectiveness of insulation and the structural durability of the building by protecting it from moisture damage, thereby making sure your healthy, energy-efficient and eco-friendly environment remains that way for years to come. Check them out at proclimber.com.au or proclimber.co.nz. ProClimber, and the insulation is perfect. I think the opportunity for us is to be a leader and we, we like to think of ourselves as innovative. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it comes to our, our physical impact, we, we get stuck up on the fact that we're a small country and a small population. But, but I think the opportunity for us is to actually show leadership and have a, have a much bigger impact, but to have a positive impact rather than worrying about how potentially negligible our emissions are or or our waste or whatever it is on on the global scale and i think that's where we can show leadership and um do do better with our buildings and and show how we can provide better buildings for for less and and i think having projects like this is a a a good way forward for for us doing that yeah, I totally agree. I I think we need to turn um, turn it into an opportunity for sure, and um, and use our uh, number eight wire kind of thinking as we do to to really come up with some some world leading solutions. And I think that's what we're already doing. And sometimes I think we don't realise we're doing mm. it. Yeah. And and people overseas, when you you talk to them um are, are looking at us yeah and 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 are really admiring the work that we're doing we're actually leading the way in in some of these things particularly with our um engagement with with um with the land and 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 with our whole relationship to the land so Mm. um we've definitely got a lot to offer the world small as we may be i really believe we've got an awful lot to offer the world how do we reconcile that with the fact that we've also got a lot of catching up to do because i often say that we as much as we like the word innovation we don't need to innovate right now we just need to catch up because some of our building practices are quite far behind so how do we reconcile the fact that we we are still not building very good houses relative to the rest of the world yet there are some aspects where we are showing leadership yeah i think um i i feel that there's a a groundswell starting to happen and i think with our uh, change of government that helps but uh, we're seeing um, the government consult on climate goals, and mm. I think through that negotiation and that discussion, and hopefully setting targets, uh, there's going to be movement. I think from the ground up, but also um, I think we need the government to really lead mm. now, mm. and I think we need them. Um, to to put some 
incentives and make it easier for us to do better. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need we need to do a lot of catching up with mm. our renewable energy, um, making that more affordable for people. Uh, you know, you can just see all the dots are going to start coming together. Prices, fuel prices are going up. We're going to have fuel poverty. We've got, you know, we need to be able to share energy. We need to be able to make it more affordable for people to generate energy. But we need, for all those things, we need the government to take a lead um, and it may come from both directions and there may be a meeting in the middle. Yeah. But I, I just have a, a, you know, it starts, as you say, we've got existing building stock that is in a, a bad way mm. and we need to we need to improve them. Mm. But we need some help from them. Well, let's talk about some of the, the leadership that you've been involved in. Uh, and coming back to Glenorchy, so you worked on New Zealand's first Living Building Challenge project. How mm-hmm. did you... Uh, well, then you headhunted for, for Glenorchy. You you became the the national expert suddenly. <laughs> yeah, I got a phone call from uh, after I'd finished uh, Te Kura in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I finished that project and and I thought, oh my god, you know, I can't go back. Yeah. Once you've done one, yeah, right. You can't go back to the yep. way you worked before. I just couldn't, and I just, and it was, well, what now? Um, and what now came along with Paul Brainard um, giving me a call out of the blue one wow. day. Wow. Tell say, us a bit about Paul, for, for those that haven't heard of him. Uh, oh, an amazing man. Mm. Um, he uh, is a philanthropist from Seattle in the United States. He and mm-hmm. his wife, Debbie, have done an awful lot of work. They're passionate about the environment. Um, he he worked in the software tech mm-hmm. business for many years in the United States and globally. Um, and through that, was fortunate to um, to have the ability to give back. And he's done that with Debbie many times over. Uh, in the course of his last period of his life. And um, uh, he built an environmental learning centre in in Seattle, yep. off Bainbridge Island. It's called Islandwood. Right. And now they spend, they have a holiday home here in Glenorchy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they saw that the existing campsite was up for sale um up for foreclosure with the bank i think and um and debbie uh, just had the feeling that it needed some love and so they they decided that they would uh regenerate and and bring back um the campsite uh to uh, a place that could give back uh, to the community but also to new zealand and they think big. They think really yeah. big. And they, they yeah, because it, it's quite a transformation, isn't it? Because it, this is a little little Kiwi campground at the literally at the end of the road uh-huh. uh, on, the, on the bottom of the lake. Paradise. I mean, Glenorchy is an amazing place. 
but what their vision is is at the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? In terms, it's not just a rundown old holiday camp where you with a few cabins and some camp, um, some tent sites. No, and and you know, look, that was one of the problems for the existing campsite was that. Uh, there was a very short period, a very short window of operation when visitors would come down the road and and stay a night or two and then go back up to Queenstown. It's a 45-minute drive from Queenstown. And, yeah. you know, come the autumn and winter, the campsite was closed. So, of course, it couldn't make any business. And so the first question was, well, whatever we build here has to be... Um, able to be used by all people but also we need to operate this year round Mm, mm. because it has to be a business it has to be an operational uh you know business yeah uh, yeah right Uh, because otherwise it just gets sold off and and becomes private private housing that's right that's right yeah so uh, that was a fundamental uh, task but um you know Paul and Debbie's vision was that this would be something that would give back um, and would be demonstrable um, globally for sustainability in the tourism accommodation sector. Um, Yeah, right, which is super exciting because it it comes back to what we were talking about before about showing an, an alternative way of being a world leader and also making it financially viable yeah and that that's that's the thing um we wanted people to be able to come and through the little cabins so the the um camp glenorchy itself is not just camping but we there's cabins as well that you can stay in uh there's huts you can stay in with bunk beds there's camper van sites um so we wanted people to be able to come and either just enjoy the place yeah, or yeah. they could delve a little deeper and and learn about the sustainability. Mm. At, at whatever depth they wanted to go, they could just go a little bit or they could delve right into the detail. And what, what so, yeah. The, what's the team learnt in the process of the design about sustainability that's, specific to that site and to New Zealand because you set up a, a test lab right because it wasn't it wasn't just a a an existing set of plans where you could say we'll have one of these yeah what what had to be investigated or researched uh, that was unique yeah so a couple of things so one um, our goal from the beginning has been to be a zero energy site and mm-hmm. um, which means that we would only use as much energy over a year as we could possibly generate through renewable energy on the site. So it's still grid connected? Still grid connected, although mm-hmm. Glenorchy gets quite a few power outages. <laughs> yeah. End of the line. You know, end of the line and <laughs> yeah. in the recent snowstorm we saw yeah, that. Yeah. There was no power there for two days. But right. Um, so, you know, we are in a remote location and it is grid connected, but yeah, we have a solar garden that generates power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we needed a lot of space for the facilities themselves, for a recreation space, for the buildings and for people to come. So we had, 
we only had a finite number of room uh, for generating power on the site. Right. That gave us an energy budget to work to. And of course, the next thing we had to do as a team was research normal, what's our baseline business as usual energy uh, consumption for a, a tourism accommodation mm-hmm. uh, place like this. Um, and of course, from that, we had this revelation that actually the tourism business isn't that great at the moment. And there, there's a lot of improvement can be made. And they are huge consumers of energy, huge consumers of water. So those were our two focus. And so right. with the test lab, it brought in the two aspects. We had to look, we looked around globally to see uh, what could we, how can we most efficiently generate hot water? Mm-hmm. And how could we, uh, how could we use uh, passively, it, it came down to a lot of controls. How can we optimize um, our renewable energy before we actually have to use electricity generated from the photovoltaic panels and so um, or from the grid mm-hmm. and um, and so we had this an existing house on the site which became a staff house 10, 10 staff working there um, and and so we set up uh, we had a, a, a a thermal store basically that stores all the hot water and connected to some evacuated thermal solar tubes on the roof. Right. And and we had an intern came over from the States and he basically spent six months living in the house yeah. uh, using the 10 staff as guinea pigs. And right. he would uh, time their showers, he would look at the temperatures stratifying in the thermal store and we tweaked the controls and we tweaked uh we actually tweaked the um the connections of the pipe work and the monitoring points on the thermal store itself to make the thermal store work more efficiently but also to to get behind the habits of people showering and how that worked with recovery times of hot water generation. So it was a six-month project, and at the end of it, we had it fine-tuned so that when we came to doing the whole campsite, it was like a plug-and-play, and we yeah, knew right. that it would shorten commissioning time. But yeah. the beneficial outcome of that as well was that uh, our hydraulic engineer went back to the manufacturers of the thermal store in Europe and said, uh, actually, you know, if you were to change this port here where you connect a pipe in to somewhere else, you actually can get better results. Really? Is that because you've done <laughs> the, stratis- uh, the stratifying, stratifying, stratifying uh, yeah, measurements? Because, yeah, because we'd spent six months actually yeah. testing it. He actually went back to the manufacturer and said, gave them a, a, a recommendation, wow. and they changed their manufacturing process and change the configuration as and a that's, result. And that's based on, on how the, there's a te- difference in temperature in your hot water cylinder, right? So the, obviously the hot water goes to the top. and That's right. So right. the hottest water goes up at, at the top, yeah. and that's what we use for our domestic hot water. Right. And then the cooler 
water is at the bottom, and that's what we use for our underfloor heating. Oh, interesting. At and, around 35. And have you found, so you've stuck with the decision to use thermal um, solar instead of PV and then a heat pump? Yeah, because because we had such a high domestic hot water heating demand, mm -hmm. if we hadn't have had such a high domestic hot water load, we probably would have just done it all through electrical. Right. But we, through the PV and the heat pump. But... Um, and is that is that total load or is it also the fact that you've got to allow for a, a really big peak load because you when it's full you've got everyone wanting to shower in a short space of time. That's right. We have we have we have these big peaks in domestic hot water. Yeah. Um and and you know down there interesting that we're still learning now. Mm. Uh, we have during the winter clear crisp blue days. Right. We're generating water at 60 degrees from the thermal stores down there because right. of the heat they're getting on the crisp days. So you're getting a lot of good solar radiation, but it would still yeah. be, what, three, four, five degrees air temperature? That's right. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, that's interesting as well. I guess there are some differences there from single residential dwelling because you are dealing with, um, bigger peaks and troughs during the day and like you say tourists are very high users of energy and water per per person that's right yeah so in order for us to meet our there's a couple of things there in order for us to meet our um, water requirements because water is another petal mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to minimize our water consumption as much as we possibly could. We got data from um, international research on typical water consumption in tourist facilities, mm -hmm. accommodation yeah. facilities, and it was astounding. Um, people have a tendency by nature to kind of use more water when they go on holiday. Right. Um, so we had to account for that. Having said that, we wanted people to take some lessons if they wanted to uh -huh. and and learn about their own impact from yeah. when they're staying there yeah. so we have we have an app um we have little ipad tablets uh, in each cabin right and people can interact with it so they can go in and they can choose to alter the length of their shower oh, okay. so we 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 wanted to bring awareness to people of their impact on the decisions that they may make in their own daily life. How back many? Home. What's the target for the number of people that would um, go through Glenorchy when it's up, fully up and running? Well, it can accommodate, I believe, around a uh, hundred people. There's mm -hmm. about seventy people in the cabins, and then we have the campervan sites. So. Um, you know, at its peak, oh, I haven't done the numbers for a number of people over a year, but we would hope to be fully booked every night yeah. through the peak and and shoulder seasons. And in the winter, you know, potentially groups may want to come and stay for doing things like photography or, yeah. you know, even business retreats. So yeah. we're looking at a year-round operation, but... Um, so we had to we have to look at how we can cut back on water consumption 
being at the end of the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Camp Glenorchy uh, community is fed from a few tanks up on the right. hill, and they take water from the lake. So they're not going to so, be happy if you uh, if you use it all up. <laughs> no. So we're <laughs> we're collecting. Yeah, we're collecting rainwater. Mm-hmm. from the from the roof mm-hmm. and we also have we've gone away from flush toilets and that was a a big decision we made when we when we got to big decisions we would spend we'd kind of pause do a lot of research and we'd actually do a white paper <laughs> on this particular issue oh, that really? we were facing yeah and uh, and 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 that was something we learned from Paul was about recording those stories and recording those decisions paul right. comes from a, a journalistic background originally. Yeah. And, and a so, nice a nice result of that is that those a lot of those white papers and uh documents are available now aren't they on the um on the is it the cape Lenorki or the the headwaters website they've got um press releases and documents going back from pretty much since yeah. the inception that's right. Yeah, uh, on the Headwaters website, there's uh, you go to the sustainability um, page of it, and mm. you, there's a lot of stories about how we how we came to the decisions we came to, and the composting toilets was a big one for sure. Um, any any challenges the, with council there? No, not at all. They were very very good. Again, <clears throat> we engaged with them pretty early on. Right. And talk to them about the philosophy of the living building challenge. Yeah. <clears throat> and I always go back to it as a philosophy because I do still believe, you know, that that's what it is first yeah. and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this isn't ticking the box for the sake of ticking the box. No. This is fundamental um, uh, adoption and immersion in in a practice. Yeah. And so. Um, they they were really good. They yep. really supported it, and I think they could see the value that this uh, facility would have for for Queenstown as mm. a mm. as a role model of, of of what could be done. Yeah, you know we don't. The biggie is sustainability without sacrifice, and I think sustainability sometimes has this concept. Uh, preconception that it infer it infers sacrifice of some means right um that you have to give up something yeah. for the sake of the environment but here at camp Glenorchy we're saying no you know you it, it can be that and more yeah. you can you don't have to give anything up you actually you actually gain something from yeah. you you it, your experience is enriched buy yep. it you're not having to give it something away and on top of all that you've got the financial viability as well that's right hey just before we go on i want to tell you a little bit about yoohoo yoohoo is an indoor air quality sensor and back in episode 161 i spoke with dustin on hangson who's the co-founder and ceo of yoohoo I wanted to talk to Dustin because I suspected for a while that my air that I was breathing and my family was breathing was probably not that ideal. I suspected that my house was a bit cold, there was a high humidity and what I was really concerned about was the carbon dioxide level. 
because it was getting a bit stuffy, particularly in the cold winter nights when we've got the house shut up and trying to keep warm. So sure enough, having set up my Yoohoo, I discovered that my uh, ventilation is pretty inadequate and my indoor air quality is not that great. The benefit of having a Yoohoo is that it allows you to quantify that and just see just how bad the air is. Why would you want to do that, you might ask? Well, what you measure, you can improve. And since having a Yoohoo installed at my home, I've been able to start tweaking things so that I can improve the indoor air quality that I'm breathing and that my family is breathing. I like the Yoohoo, so I brought a whole bunch over to New Zealand and they are available now. And for a short time, I'm dropping the price down. So head on over to yoohoo.co.nz, that's u-h-o-o.co.nz, and grab yourself a bargain. Um, so what have you learned that would be applicable to more traditional uh, uh construction in the residential area and towns and cities for either commercial or, or residential building? Uh, yeah, I think it's a matter of scaling. And we learned a lot about uh, simplicity, um, certainly simplicity of form, mm-hmm. uh, simplicity of and, and orientation are always key things for mm-hmm. uh trying to minimize and minimize energy consumption and optimize passive design is key in any normal uh, any residential development or a house Mm -hmm. is is to look at what you've got to work with in the first place and optimize that before you go to your your mechanical systems and that's that's always the way we've always been what what where we're going now from myself and I think from some of the other members of the team that have worked on the project is looking at how, um, again, technology, there are some things we brought in from overseas, mm-hmm. but how can we now use those here? Um, can we manufacture those here or can we create our own systems here to to sometimes through controls or through engineering really fine-tune our energy consumption so have you got some examples of of some of those technologies well um, i mean we looked at for us controls was a big thing in terms of in visitor accommodation um again through research you know we found out that guests aren't in their rooms for 70% 70% of the day. Right. And yet lights may be left on or okay. there may be things using, we look at phantom loads and standby loads. And, right. Um, you become a lot more aware of how much the little things build up. Mm. Mm. When you're looking at every single kilowatt or every single watt of an appliance, to achieve zero energy you really start to be mindful of things like ovens the power that they just use in the background even when you're not using them on standby on standby you know so because we we basically had a spreadsheet of every single electric consuming device Mm -hmm. 
in the project, we fast became aware of of the impact that has. So, you know, we've learned so many things in so many different ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a matter of then scaling at that to a residential project. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I I really hope that um, I mean I know that that data is getting recorded, and like you say, Paul's very keen on on writing all that stuff up. Um, but and yeah. it, and it will be through people like yourself who can um, leverage that learning and translate it into more projects uh, in the future. So it's not just isolated to that one-off uh, project at the end of the road down in the South Island. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was Paul's, uh, you know, plan and idea yeah, was. Yeah. We had one cabin that we wanted to make zero energy all in itself, so that it could be a demonstration of how a house could be zero energy. Wow! Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. But then at the same time, we've got the material side of things as well, and we we were looking at using all the non-toxic materials which we have to do mm -hmm. for living building challenge mm -hmm. and we we've made all that research public on the website as well oh, excellent and, the, and so hopefully that just makes it easier again trying to how can we make it easier mm. for anybody to make good choices and that's yeah. the idea behind yeah it there all. seems to there seems to be quite a lot of that uh with all the living building challenge projects that i've i've seen a very uh, a big willingness of everyone to share that information and trying to, I guess, encourage people um, to to use it and to make use of all the work because a huge amount of work that you've put in and others have to put in to to research all the um, the supply chain for all those all those products. I think the other thing as well is that I've heard some. Um, some people feel like living building challenge is not very scientific. Uh, they feel that it's a bit, uh, you know, the fact that it's got petals and it's a little bit um, <laughs> touchy feely, touchy feely, a bit woo woo. <laughs> but I think you've kind of dispelled that with the just the the amount of, of scientific testing and rigor that you've applied to this project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's it's no mean feat to get um, a certificate, a living building certification, is it? I mean, you need to provide a huge amount of evidence. For, yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean it, yeah it when you read it um you think oh that's easy you know that's yeah. no problem because it it doesn't tell you you've got to achieve this 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 and this all it says is the ultimate intention and the ultimate goal and it's up to you how you get there right saying that is easier than actually doing it yeah, and it's called yeah. it's actually called a challenge for a very good reason Living challenge yeah <laughs> it's a massive challenge yeah yeah particularly on the materials side and on the you know yeah energy and water side you've got to go into the minutest of detail mm -hmm. and interrogate every single decision you make but people, but people shouldn't be put off by that, right? Because they're no, 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 no. Because <laughs> no. there are people like you around to help them. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a collaborative in New Zealand, and we have more and more people are doing it. And and what we're wanting is for everybody that um, works on one of these projects to share their knowledge and their experience. And they are doing that. You know, there's a couple of houses that yep. are happening yep. in Auckland. 
they've all got websites and yeah. blogs yeah. and they're all sharing their journey. And it should get easier, right? As, as people find materials that comply and, and, and as manufacturers get better at their labelling, it should get easier to do that stuff. And then on the other yeah. side, that with monitoring is, is easier these days and, um, yes. and measuring things. So hopefully it, it, you, you have paved the way. You've, you've done the hard work. And yeah. uh, hopefully people, others can follow in your wake. Um, we, we should finish up, but um, for people who want to find out more about Glenorchy and Headwaters, what's the easiest place to go and find out more information? Uh, the easiest place is to either, is first stop would be the website. So that's www.theheadwaters.co.nz. Mm-hmm. And go to this uh, sustainability page. It's got an awful lot of information on all the uh, general offerings yep. of of Camp Glenorchy as well. If you want to just go for a holiday, yeah, um, go for, a visit for sure. Go for a visit if you want to look more in depth into the sustainability. Then um, then go to the sustainability page. We've mm-hmm. got the materials, all the materials list on there that we researched. Um, information on that and then of course there's the Facebook page for Camp Glenorchy Headwaters and they're on Instagram as well so they're on all all the places and uh, yeah next Tuesday Paul Brainard is speaking at the Sustainable Business Network yes uh, conference on Tuesday yep. as well about Camp Glenorchy and what's next what's next for you Trish um, I'm working on with the universe with the um, Otago Polytechnic at the moment, which mm-hmm. is very exciting, and uh, that is for the uh, redevelopment of the Dunedin site. Yep. And and that's actually registered as a living community, right. which is a, another giant leap. The next challenge so, for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's really exciting, and hopefully another living building challenge. In Auckland, this time, a commercial um, office development. Wow, so, that would be very exciting. Yeah. That'll be, be the first, cool. first office, uh, it, first LBC office in New Zealand? It would be. Mm. It would be. It, and I hope, yeah, fingers crossed, watch this space. <laughs> and where, where can people connect with you? Um, I have a, a Facebook page, Trisha Love Consultants. Yeah. Um, and that's it. I don't have a website. It doesn't sound like you need one at the moment. You're in high demand. <laughs> yeah. I'm also on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. So awesome. those two places. Hey, well, well done, Trish, for uh, you know that what's been a few years now uh, working in this area, and uh, obviously um, it must be rewarding. But uh, I know that uh, you've put in a, a huge amount of work, so. Congratulations on those and look forward to hearing more and seeing more of your projects in the future. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm passionate about it. Yes. Love it. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Trish Love there of Trish Love Consultants. And as uh, Trish pointed out, she doesn't have a website at the moment, but uh, you can find Trish on Facebook. And I'll put a link to her page there. And of course, all the information and those great press releases from uh, Paul Brainard and the team at uh, the headwaters in Camp Glenorchy. Got to get down there and have a visit. Uh, I'd love to do a couple of videos down there and um, have a bit of a look around. Um, but in the meantime, why don't you get yourself down there and, and have a look? It, it re- it's 
quite accessible for uh, for the stunning location that it is. Easy to get to Queenstown and uh, only 30-40 minutes drive out from there. And it is quite an incredible place. So um, yeah, make that uh, on the priority list of destinations to get to. Hey, uh, I'd love to get your feedback on this show and others. You can email me, matthew at homestylegreen.com. Don't forget, uh, I have got a special deal on those uh, last few remaining Yuhu air indoor air quality sensors that uh, I've got sitting here. So if you'd like to get your hands on one of those, uh, just email me or you can head over to yuhu.co.nz. That's u-h-o-o.co.nz. Thanks very much for listening. Now go make a better place to live.